Well, if you're going to pick six and, and make that exciting play, you better have a heck of a cornerback to do it. And we've got one today here on the Pick Six podcast. I'm Dave Richard, guest hosting for Will Brinson. Will is visiting the Galapagos Islands. And with me is two-time Super Bowl champion Bryant McFadden, uh, an amazing cornerback with the oh, Pittsburgh Steelers and the Arizona Cardinals. I, my gig is usually fantasy football, but I'm a football junkie mm-hmm. all the way around. You made my life tough when you played because we knew that receivers going up against you week in and week out would have have a difficult time uh, finding the end zone on a regular basis. You were certainly uh, a great player, and it's exciting to have you here. So thank you for joining us on the Pick 6. Thank you for allowing me to be on the Pick 6. Of course, that's an ideal name because if you're playing in the secondary – you want to have a pick six. Absolutely. Yes, yes. And, and just for the record, I'm 6'3", 285 or so. I probably can run a 40 in about seven and a half, eight <laughs> seconds, something like that. So I'm probably the worst person to play in the defensive backfield, but I'm here to have a pick six with you. Let's go. Minicamp has begun. We've got four teams underway. Patriots, the Lions, the Bears, the Dolphins. Uh, our colleague here at CBS Sports, Jamie Eisenberg, is with the Dolphins at their minicamp as we speak. Can you tell me a little bit about minicamp? Because all I see are highlights where guys are in shorts and T-shirts or jerseys for, you know, they're not jer- T-shirts, they're yep. jerseys. Uh, what happens at minicamp? Well, mini minicamp, when you look at the structure of practices, they're a little different than what you were doing throughout the OTA practices. Minicamps usually have two practices a day in the morning and then midday along with multiple meeting requirements. And for the young guys, this is an opportunity to really be around the entire team because, you know, OTAs is not mandatory. Many camps are mandatory. We just talked about yesterday with Rob Gronkowski, Tom Brady, reporting mm-hmm. to many camps. Yeah, they got to so be there. That That is the one opportunity in the offseason where everybody that's a part of that organization as far as rosters will be involved. And now from the young guys, you get an opportunity to see some of the great ones, the ones that you watch throughout your entire uh, uh, lifetime growing up and mining what they do. And now you get an opportunity to be in the locker room with them. And also, too, you want to prove your – you want to show your worth. I know for me, my first mini camp, I got a chance to be around legendary type of players in that 05 team that we had, and I was a second-round draft pick. So OTAs and minicamps is a little different because the intensity level is a bit higher. It's higher as far as the, the tempo of the practices, the physicality. Granted, you're in helmets and shorts, but yet and still you're moving a lot faster than what you did throughout OTAs. And now it's an opportunity to really show your teammates and the organization. They did, they made a great choice in selecting you. Your first minicamp, did you work with the ones at all or were you mostly with the twos? I mean, my first minicamp, Dave, it was tough because I I was around so many veteran players. Yeah. They knew the playbook. They knew the scheme. They knew the philosophy. So it was almost like a chill type of setting for them. Now, for the younger guys, we had to go. I went with the ones, the twos, and the threes. Do you remember who you lined up against first? I lined up against every wide receiver we had outside of. Hines didn't practice that much, but the other wide receivers, they – you know, they got their reps, and I lined up against every wide receiver they had, and I was shot. My legs were gone. Mm-hmm. Because, mind you, you're in a new environment, so mentally everything is moving faster than what you would expect. And the same can be said for the physical standpoint. You're moving fast because you're trying to show I'm quick, I'm fast on every play, and you don't learn and grasp the understanding that, you know, this is this is it's a marathon, not a race. Mm-hmm. And for me, 
I thought it was a race the first day. <laughs> Anytime it was a run away from me, I'm running full speed to the ball. Granted, that's what you're supposed to do. But you never got an opportunity to really save some gas. And by midway through the practice, I had no legs. I mean, every wide receiver would seem like they were running a deep route on me, not to mention the younger guys. They're trying to show their speed, so they want to run deep. I mean, I'm chasing wide receivers, chasing footballs, and I was gone. I had no energy. It felt like I needed a, a oxygen mask. So that might be something that Minka Fitzpatrick is going through right now at Dolphins minicamp. Is he's trying to show that he belongs with this new team that took him with a first-round pick. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's certainly not the same thing as what you lined up against when you went to your first minicamp. Dolphins have Kenny Stills and Devontae Parker. Ryan Tannehill's back at quarterback. So maybe it's a little bit easier. It's not. He probably isn't in as much awe as you might have been when, when you yeah, came in. Yeah, I think that's safe to say because in the locker room with me, my rookie year, a few seats down was Jerome Bettis, right? Yeah. And then if you go in the across the locker room, it was Joey Porter. And then to my left, it was Deuce Staley. Then you go the other side, it was Heinz Ward, Alan Fanica, you know, I mean, James Ferrier, Casey Hampton. We're talking about potential Hall of Fame players. And then two seats for me was Troy. Palomalu. And Troy had two lockers. Everybody else had one locker. One for his hair, one for the rest of them. Troy had a locker for his uniform, equipment. Then he had another locker from, like, the nutritional standpoint. I mean, he had a, a mini cafeteria in the other locker. He had a mini GNC. Basically. All kind of styrofoam cups and protein shakes and blenders and things like that. And I'm fresh from Florida State. I'm, I'm used to eating McDonald's before I go to practice. <laughs> you know, I'm seeing something I've never seen before. And that's when I knew I was not anywhere as far as in the area of being a professional that I thought I was. I thought I was ready to go. I thought I was a professional athlete. When mm. I'm looking at Troy, you know, with all these these shakes and healthy green type of, of, of substance in, in, in the cup. I mean, I'm like, ah, McDonald's. I love McDonald's and chicken nuggets. <laughs> I got to get on this protein diet that Troy's on. And he did a great job with it. It's it's interesting that he had a separate locker just for all that. He didn't share that with anybody? No, or? I mean, that's Troy. Troy had two lockers. He has shoes in one. Like I said, he had a whole other cafeteria-style locker in the other. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's crazy. So maybe the better comparison is Duke Dawson, who I believe is a second-round cornerback that the Patriots drafted, who's going through his first minicamp right now, yeah. and he's going to line up against Tom Brady. Poor guy. Um, i, I got to bring this up, and I always ask about Super Bowl rings, and that they've got to be your prized possessions. Just curious what you think about when you, when you see those two. Now, I know you got twins, and yep. I know that that matters more to you than the rings. <laughs> at least I think so. I don't think you're going to admit it should, that. Right? Here. Yeah. But what do you think about when you look at those Super Bowl rings? Uh, it's a blessing. It's a blessing for me because – in my entire life, all I ever wanted to do was play football. I wanted to find a way to get to the National Football League. I love the game of football. I still love the game of football. In my rookie year, getting to that level and winning the Super Bowl, it was surreal. I felt like that was something I was supposed to do every year because I had a dream season my rookie year, getting drafted to an unbelievable organization, You know, coming in as a second-round draft pick, eventually get it into the lineup, making some plays, and being a part of a historical great football team. I'm like, wow. And then the next year, the reality set in. Mm. You know, we had a few distractions away from the field. We ended up missing the playoffs. And now you've seen how difficult it is to win in the National Football League. 
and then we go right back to the playoffs, and then in another two years, we right back in the Super Bowl. So for me to be able to play four years, my first four years in the league, and have two Super Bowl championships was unbelievable. And to think about being a part of a Super Bowl winning team, a championship team on any level, you really appreciate and embrace the journey, that training camp journey. Mm-hmm. Where everybody comes together, even before training camp, we're talking about off-season programs right now, OTAs and mini camps. Mm-hmm. That is where the foundation is, is is laid down for Super Bowl caliber teams. And every player that's a part of a championship team, they remember the journey, you know, the grueling part, the the, the laughter, the cries, mm-hmm. the arguments in between the games, things that fans don't ever hear about. You know, cursing at each other in the huddle or cursing out the referees. Mm-hmm. You know, the game within the game, but you all appreciate, we all appreciate it when you get an opportunity to hoist the sticky Lombardi. Mm. <laughs> and that's what Mike Tomlin to always, always emphasized. Our first journey with him as far as getting to that level in 2008, Latrobe PA, first meeting, he said, this is a group of men, regardless of what your role is, we all have the same goal. Hoist the sticky Lombardi. Mm-hmm. You know, at the time, we liked the sticky Lombardi because we had already won one. Mm-hmm. And he emphasized what he meant by saying the sticky Lombardi when they won the championship there in Tampa. He said by the time the Lombardi got to him, it was sticky right. from fingerprints and lips from kissing on it, mm-hmm. sweat. The sticky Lombardi. That's mm-hmm. what we want. Made sense. And we got it. Uh, do you let other people wear the rings? No. It's only for you? It's only for me. I don't really wear rings a lot. I don't like rings. Um, I may have worn them a total, when you look at both rings, maybe a total of three or four times. Uh, you know, I probably will bring them in the studio, you know, around Super Bowl time. Yeah. Uh, I don't, I, I just appreciate them. I know what they are. Um, also too, uh, both championship teams that I w- was a part of, we got an opportunity as individuals to order a replica Lombardi trophy. Mm-hmm. I, I enjoy those. I look at those all the time. Oh, okay. Yeah. It, it's a miniature Lombardi. It's actually heavier than the actual Lombardi, but it's a, it's, it's a replica. Uh, and I love those and those are great items, you know, for people to see. Um, and also hold, uh-huh. you know, are they front and center when people walk into your house? They're not front and center. Um, you know, I have like a, a, a memorabilia section in my house and that's, that's why I have Okay. I, I thought, you know, right by the door, you can hang your coat. No, no. Take no. a look at the open my wife floor and there's my wife big won't allow Super me Bowl trophies right there. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I, I was curious if you let people wear your rings and I'm wondering if you've ever let a friend of yours who played in the league wear no. one of your rings or I, if they've even asked. No, they never Just asked. Just to see what you it's like. You know what? Like. That's a good question, Dave, because if they ask, what would I say? I probably would say no. If you're going to say no you, to everybody else, you might as well You can no hold them, but not put them on your finger. Right. Yeah. Oh. I feel some type of way. I think they're only made for my fingers. It's like a Lord of the Rings thing. Exactly. Bri- exactly. Brian McFadden is on CBS Sports HQ, which you can stream live 24-7, 365. You'll see his Super Bowl rings on there, uh, I guess, next February. And uh, it, 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 it's exciting perspective. You can also read more about him on Twitter at BMAC underscore sports talk. Uh, let's get let's get into the news now in the NFL, and it's sad news with Dwight Clark passing away from from ALS at the age of sixty one. His catch we've seen you've seen it on the highlights on CBS Sports HQ. Obviously, you've seen it growing up a million times because it was iconic for the Forty ers How how big of a moment? 
how do you how, how does that moment register in the history of the 49ers it's the biggest moment maybe they've ever had yeah because that's really what set them their dynasty into motion with Montana and Rice and I Clark agree. was definitely a big part of that I, I want to talk about where that catch might rank among great catches in NFL playoff history okay NFL playoff history and we're also including the Super Bowls correct mm-hmm for me, I think it's clearly top five. And if I had to give you my top five, starting with the fifth best playoff catch in NFL history, my number five would be the Immaculate Reception. Mm-hmm. Franco, uh, Pittsburgh playing against the Raiders, Raiders. Yep. in Pittsburgh. So you agree that he caught it? Yes. Okay. No question he caught it. You know that. <laughs> All the listeners, they agree with me also. Mm-hmm. Granted, you're still a fan if you're not. That was a Well, catch. Uh, there's a lot of Raiders fans out there that uh, might say I mean, The Raiders have a lot of gripes as far as that catch, as far as the, the tuck rule. The tuck rule. Yep. I mean, it's tough being a Raider fan nowadays. But that would be my fifth. Uh, I just um, like that you've got them ranked. Yeah, my, that would be my, number, my, my, my fifth best catch in playoff history. The number four for me would be the levitating catch with Lynn Swan. Oh, yeah. In the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. Against the Cowboys, right? I believe so. Down in Miami, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. My, his, my Super Bowl history is really, yeah, yeah, really yeah. nice. You're to on, be. on point yeah, so far. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so that will be my number four. Okay. Here's where it gets a bit tricky. My number three would be Dwight Clark. Okay. I have that number three. Mm-hmm. My number two would be the David Tyree catch. Yeah. That, that that's is just amazing. For that to happen, when you look at what trans uh what transpired throughout the entire play with Eli, mm-hmm. you know, being able to evade defenders, had a guy on his shoulder, still throwing it up in the air, the helmet catch. Not to mention that was a huge upset because the Patriots were the odds on favorites to win that Super Bowl, and that led to the game winning play for the New York Giants. So that's my number two. So I, like this is where I'm curious where number one comes in. Like, number what one could, what to me, the Tyree catch and the Dwight Clark catches are like one and two. And the only reason why I might put Tyree ahead of Dwight Clark is because of Eli scrambling before the throw and just the ridiculousness of Tyree managing to wedge the ball between his helmet and his hand. Mm-hmm. Whereas Dwight Clark used both hands. Mm-hmm. Montana was on the run, too, when he threw that ball. Mm-hmm. Both amazing, amazing plays that you could watch a 100 times over. What's number one? <laughs> Dave, my number one should be your number one, and listeners, it should be your number one also. The San Antonio Holmes catch. Ah, okay, okay. In the Super Bowl, and here's why I believe that's the number one, the best NFL playoff catch in history. Well, in you, the history. You, you no, 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 no. You were there. I did, I'm not having any, there, I have no bias with this selection. I'm looking at it from a fan perspective also. Because that was a last second, almost a last second play. Time was of the essence against the Steelers. Not to mention the difficult nature in which the pass was completed. There were literally three defenders in front of Santonio with an opportunity to deflect the football, get their hand on the football. The ability of Big Ben to place the football only where his wide receiver could catch it not to mention his best Michael Jackson impersonation. <laughs> the toe, the toe tap. Yeah. The toe tap. 
Did he practice that a lot? Did you catch him practicing that a lot, or is that just something that receivers inherently know how the, to do? The real, real good, good receivers, they know how to do it. Mm-hmm. They know how to do it. It's almost like their body instantly goes into that toe-tap mode. Mm-hmm. So when you look at the difficulty in the catch, and the thing about the David Tyree catch, it probably has to be one of the more difficult catches we've ever seen, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I think that's fair to say. Yes. But it was not a touchdown. No. It no. was not a touchdown. That's fair. And for me – that Santonio Holmes catch was a touchdown. Would would Santonio Holmes catch be number one if it was not a touchdown? Probably not. So I have to knock, even though David Tyree was an unbelievable catch, we may never see that ever again in the history of the game. But it was not in the end zone. The reason the Dwight Clark catch is number three because it's in the end zone. Mm-hmm. The levitating catch with Lin Swan wasn't in the end zone. Right. You know, so I have to knock <laughs> the, certain plays down based on the ending result. One play led to a touchdown. Mm-hmm. The other play was a touchdown. I, I want to know what everybody else thinks about yes. top top rank yeah. those three plays. Santonio's touchdown, Dwight Clark's touchdown, David Tyree's uh uh catch. It wasn't a touchdown, but the helmet catch. Mm-hmm. And send it to us on Twitter. Again, at BMAC underscore sports talk and at Dave Richard. Real quick, Dave, another catch that I started to implement. This is an honorable in, mention. In my top five. Mm-hmm. The Julian Edelman catch. Sure. I guess the Atlanta Fog was when mm-hmm. he caught it basically with his feet. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that was an impressive How catch. many crazy catches win against the Patriots, including yeah. the Tyree one, and then one goes the Patriots way. Exactly. Dwight Clark, one of my favorite things about him is how he came into the NFL. Mm-hmm. A 10th round pick who got noticed when, uh, he visited, uh, Bill Walsh visited Clemson to check out a quarterback. His name was Steve Fuller. And when they got to campus, Clark answered the phone. Uh, I guess it was Fuller's phone. They said, we need somebody to catch passes for Fuller at the at the uh, workout. It was Dwight Clark. And Dwight Clark went out there. And they were so impressed with him that they drafted him in round 10, went on to have uh, an amazing career with the 49ers, as everybody knows. 506 catches, 6,750 yards, 48 touchdowns in 134 games. In that era for a tight end, uh, early 80s, mid 80s, that's pretty good. Pretty good. Dwight Clark will be missed. Uh, lots of, uh, lots of tributes coming out. I, I'm a, like I said, I'm a football nut. I've got a huge football card collection. Uh, I took a look at one of my Dwight Clark autographs. Last oh, you night have a nice card collection. And reminisced. I, I do. That's I do. Um, let's move on. Let's talk about this Franco for a second. You know that he had the legendary catch. Mm-hmm. And we talked about that one. Uh, he's been in the headlines recently for comments on Le'Veon Bell's situation, the contract. He suggests both sides should just make it work. It's pretty obvious. What do you make of, of the Steelers' offseason so far and and what they should do? We can start with Le'Veon, what they should do uh, about him, whether they should pay him outright or just keep on franchising him year after year. I think so far the Steelers' offseason, uh, you know, the, the, their offseason has been filled with distractions. Um Starting with Le'Veon and his contract dispute, uh, the differences in sides. Once again, we've seen this storyline before because we saw it a year ago. Um, you talk about with Big Ben, um, and the organization drafting Mason Rudolph. Clearly Big Ben was not in favor of that. He said he was a bit surprised. That was another distraction. So that's not the steal away in my opinion, being a part of the organization, especially you know, having so many successful years. Back then, the organization never was in the headlines during, throughout the offseason for any reason. 
And clearly, if they were in the headlines, it was not considered to be a distraction. I think they have to find a way to get back to that. Now, the uncontrollable is with the contract issue. Hmm. That's something that you really can't control because we know Le'Veon is looking for more money. He's deciding to stay away from any team-related activities. He has that right because he's yet to sign anything. Sure. But with that being said, keep everything in-house. You know, Le'Veon came out with the rap. You know, basically putting everything on wax that he's not the villain. We understand that. At least former players understand it. Some fans might not understand it. Sure. But with that being said, sometimes saying less is better, in my opinion. You know, he should get paid what he's looking to get paid, in my opinion, because he's the best in the world at what he does. But clearly, the organization, they don't feel they can do that. Well, I don't know if they want to pay him what he wants to get paid. which is what 17 million yeah something yeah. like yeah you know, i don't think there would be money. one organization that would pay him that type of money but what are they paying him already brian they're going to pay him 14 million okay so it's a difference of three, $3 million, million dollars yeah. which listen most people look at three million dollars and they say wow that's a ton of money yeah. but in nfl contract talk three million dollars isn't that much money yeah it's it, barely it's, it's like and one and a half percent of the salary that's why i believe if he's because you could have nipped this in the butt a year ago. Yes, and it would have been for less. It would have been for less. Mm-hmm. It would have been for less than 17. I think he was looking for somewhere around maybe 14 or 13 million a year ago. You said no. He went out and once again performed up to the level that we know he can perform at. And now he's looking for more money. So now he has a lot of leverage behind him. So for the Steelers, if you don't pay him this season, you know he's going to be looking for more money next year. So ultimately, I believe we will see a Kirk Cousins type of deal as far as seeing him play under a franchise tag and eventually going elsewhere. I think that would make sense for Pittsburgh, believe it or not. And I I don't know how everybody feels. There's going to be people that want Le'Veon to stay, but he's 26 years old, has almost, he has over 1,200 career carries as a member of the Pittsburgh Steelers. And I wonder if Pittsburgh will just look at him and say, listen, we can find another guy to run the football. He might not be as good as you, mm-hmm. but we'll save a lot of money. We won't have that much strain on our cap by sinking $17 million, uh in, into a position that we can find another guy and, for. Dave, for me, this is why I believe 2018 is a critical, critical year for that organization because this team will be totally different in 2019 talking about potentially not having a guy, Le'Veon Bell, in the backfield. So for me, if this team does not reach a championship game. And I'm not saying they need to win one, but they need to find a way to reach a championship game with these three players on the offense in Big Ben, Antonio Brown, and Le'Veon Bell. Arguably the best trio of offensive players we've seen in a long, long time. In Pittsburgh or just in, in the general? In the general, because okay. it's safe to say, depending on who you're asking, Antonio is no worse than number two at the wide receiver position. Uh, I think he's number one. That's what I'm saying. You're right. I believe he's number one, right. too. But depending on asking asking anyone, mm-hmm. as far as the consensus, you're, you it's might safe get some to say. people that say Julio or Odell. Yeah, right. But he's number one in my opinion. Mm-hmm. It's safe to say that about Le'Veon when you look at his body of work the last two three years. Safe to say number Even one longer than that. You can go and Big back Ben is him. a top five guy. Yes. How many times have we seen an organization consistently have at least no worse than a top three mm-hmm. or top five guy at their position together? We don't see that often. No. And it would be a shame if they can't 
cash it in for that's a what I'm ring saying. of their own. And now we're talking about what's next for Le'Veon because if they don't pay, if they can't pay him now and he's looking for 17, either he's going to come down on his financial terms well, and, and, and accept I, less money. I don't think he would do that unless he was set free first. I agree. And that way he could see what the market is yeah. for him. And maybe that's what happens. Maybe Pittsburgh says, just go out there, see what kind of an offer you get. And if we can match it, we'll match it. We yeah. want to have you here because he does know the offense. You mentioned Roethlisberger, the comments about teaching Mason Rudolph. This is kind of new territory for Roethlisberger because Pittsburgh's brought in, yeah, Landry Jones was a backup for a while and now he's going to get competition. Last year they drafted Josh Dobbs. Now it's going to be Mason Rudolph. I don't know if Mason Rudolph is the face of the, or the future of the franchise at quarterback. But it, it could is that a distraction on the same level as Le'Veon's contract, or is that just something that everybody knows? Look, Ben's the guy; he's going to be the guy until he's not on the field, and then we'll see what we have with Mason Rudolph. Yeah, that that's different, and that storyline is not as big as it once was weeks ago. Right, because Roethlisberger came out and said something. Yeah, because he said something, and now it kind of died down a little bit because they're going about their business, um, getting ready for mini camp. Um, you know, of course, Mason has been there throughout OTAs. The same can be said about Ben. He's missed a few practices, but yet still he's been there more so than uh, missing them. And now no one is really talking about this. This is Le'Veon Bell's contract uh, 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 issue will linger until he reports, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. So the longer he's staying away from minicamp, OTAs, training camp, it will be a topic of discussion, deserving so because we saw this a year ago. Can it hurt a locker room? Can no. something like that hurt a locker room? I or think is this they're used be to something it. that they talk about. I think they're used to it because Le'Veon is the type of guy where he's a vet. Reps is something that he really don't need mm-hmm. because he's proven his worth as far as being away and still stepping in and still dominating. So you don't question, will he be ready to go when he gets to camp? Cause he stepped, he was away the entire uh, offseason and jumped in week one and was tearing the league. Mm-hmm. And he's always been a well-conditioned player, so you yeah. don't question his work ethic when he's not there with the team. So this won't be a big issue. Now, this this was a younger guy. Yeah, you might have concerns about where he may be he's mentally and physically. He's, he's done it before, done it before so and you don't have any concerns. Absolutely. Well, he's probably sitting at home right now watching TV, Yeah, which a lot of us do. I hope he's listening to the Pick 6 right well, now. Well, I'm sure he's listening to the Pick 6, and you can – Follow Pick 6 on Twitter, at Pick 6 Pod. And if you're a true NFL fan, then you've got to have a Roku streaming player. It's a device you plug into your TV to unlock thousands of live streaming and on-demand channels, including the free CBS Sports app where you can watch Brian McFadden on CBS Sports HQ. It's awesome if you have subscriptions to any of the professional sports league apps. They're all available on the Roku platform, so you can stream right to your television. And even if you don't have premium subscriptions... Roku is a great way to catch your favorite local teams live with apps through made through many cable providers. Plus, of course, Roku has access to all the movies and TV shows you could want with more than 500,000 available across free and paid channels. They could have said, they could have said, we've got, you know, zillions of movies, but they said, no, we're going to tell you exactly how many we have. And it's more than 500,000. That's a lot. So check them out. Roku streaming players start at just $29.99 for the basic player. Or you can spring for the higher-end players, which stream in 4K with HDR. And with Father's Day right around the corner, Roku players make an awesome gift, too. i got to tell my wife about that. Visit Roku.com. That's R-O-K-U.com to learn more and start streaming today. i got to take advantage of you being here, Brian, mm-hmm. because you're a cornerback. And you, you, you're you not just one of these former players that 
you know, uh, hems and haws and watches, you know, a little bit on Sunday and collects a check from, from a media company. You, you love the game. I've seen it from you. I've known you long enough to know it. And offensive skill positions, the hierarchy of the game's best may be more evident to fans, but heading into 2018, I think the cornerback debate is one worth having about who's the best. It's not necessarily about which team has the best collection of cornerbacks. That's a different story. Who's the best cornerback in the NFL right now? And, and there's names that we can look at from Patrick Peterson, who's been doing it for a long time. Um, Casey Hayward has been doing it for a while. Darius Slay in Detroit has been good to younger players like Jalen Ramsey, uh, Marcus Peters, who's on the move now. He's going to be with the Rams. Who are you looking at as, as the top cornerbacks in the NFL? Okay. Based on career or based on the success in 2017? I'm saying if I'm building a team right now and I've got my quarterback and I've got my pass rusher. Okay. If you now I need a corner. If you asked, if you're asking me in that, in, in, in that way, right? If I need a cornerback based on what we know as far as being consistent, as far as be having the ability to follow any opposing's Offense number one receiver and play man to man. He's fast. He's physical. He has great ball skills. Antonio Brown is coming to play us next week. Who's going to be our corner? Patrick Peterson. Okay. Patrick Peterson. And the thing about Patrick is that because of, because he plays with the Arizona Cardinals, mm-hmm. I mean, he's kind of in no man's land. <laughs> Basically. I mean, because a lot of people don't watch Arizona play. On the West Coast. You're, you're saying that as in, not that he's on a team with bad players, but more like he's just not on a team with a lot of notoriety. Exactly. Like if he were on the Patriots or the, or the Steelers. Yes. It would be a much different story. It'd be, I mean, the Packers, the, the, the Cowboys. It's almost like, and we all know Mike Trout is the best baseball player in the game, right? Sure. But the market, the team in which he plays on hurts his ability to be a big-time household name. And granted, he is if you're a baseball fan. But if he played for the Cubs, if he played for the Yankees, mm. if he played for the Nationals. He might be the biggest name in baseball. I mean, look at Harper. Uh, 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 look at uh, Bryce Harper with the Nationals. So I say that to say this. If Pat played with a Minnesota Vikings, mm-hmm. you know, if Pat played with uh, uh, the Dallas Cowboys, if he played with organizations that have been consistently good or have that tradition and prestige, what he what he does week in and week out usually goes unnoticed because of the team he's playing on. But if I need a if I have a quarterback, and if we're talking about the overall body of work, and I need a corner, I go with Patrick Peterson. That would be my number one. Uh, Pro Football Focus last year. Uh, I don't know how much you buy into them. I, I think they do a pretty good job. Uh, they've got Patrick Peterson as the number two cornerback in terms of coverage stats. And just looking at it as I'm saying it right now, he allowed 394 yards, over 60 targets. 106 of them came after the catch. Four touchdowns, one interception. And uh, let's see. Cover snaps per target, 9.9. That seems like a lot. Yards per cover snap, 0.66. That's low. Cover snaps per reception, 21.2. I guess what it all means is that he is one of the best. One of the best. I'm I'm a big fan of what Jacksonville got in Jalen Ramsey. Mm-hmm. And I liked him a ton coming out. Florida I'm State. sure you did, too, for yes, that sir. reason. Florida State. And then listen, being unbiased, I'm a Miami guy, so I 
you know, looked at it candidly and honestly. And yeah, he's he's great. I like that he's feisty, and I, and I think he could line up anywhere and, and play up against anybody. And I think Jacksonville. I think part of the reason why their defense is so good, and and I think it's a, kind of a secret to why any defense is good, is when you've got a great corner, you your defensive coordinator has a lot more freedom to blitz in different ways mm-hmm. because you can trust that <clears throat> one corner to take away. It depends on what type of a scheme you're calling, whether it's you know a quarter of the field away or a third of the field away, or even half the field away, and you can take some of those other defenders and rush the passer with it. And I think guys like Peterson and Ramsey uh, are. are at the top of their game. I think Casey Hayward's really good too. And mm-hmm. I think that's another guy, you know, it's funny you brought up Mike Trout. I'm bringing up Casey Hayward. Both these guys play in Southern California. Yeah. It's not exactly, you know, a small local part of the country, mm-hmm. but they don't get the notoriety that they probably deserve. Yeah. And Hayward is certainly a uh, part of that. And, you know, before he played in San Diego, now he's with the chargers, good cornerbacks out there. And there's a lot of young ones on the way. Uh, I mentioned Peters Ramsey, obviously one of them, Marshawn Lattimore, I thought it was really good last year. Yeah, Lattimore. And again, he was part of the reason why they were able to yeah. blitz so much and, and get after the, the quarterback. I, I like Lattimore. He has an old school style of play as far as his game. As he's a physical guy. He loves to play bump and run. I mean, he competes. I like his game a lot. One last thing, and, and this one struck me as interesting, Brian. On a, on a radio on 97.9 FM in Houston, Adrian Peterson indicated that Drew Brees beat him in a conditioning test last offseason. And what, what was the conditioning test? Oh, well, I don't know what the conditioning test was, but you've probably taken part in a fair share of conditioning mm-hmm. tests over the course of your career. What goes into a conditioning test? It depends. Now, for me, uh, in Pittsburgh, we had 1440s. That was our conditioning test. So we had to, had to run 1440s, <laughs> run to the, run to the, the end line and jog back. And you had to be back at the start, the start point within 20, 20 seconds or something like that, 25 mm-hmm. seconds. So you had to run your 40. You had to make it as far as the skill position players. We had to run our 40 no less than four in the high four sixes. So that's like a sprint. And by the time you get to the seventh mark as far as reps, mm-hmm. you're shot. So we did that in Pittsburgh. Now, my rookie year, being a, a young pup trying to really show everybody up, so I ran you started going. I fast, ran my right from first, the top, right? my first five forties. I was digging. Uh-huh. I was coming in first. Uh-huh. I'm like, I had my shirt off. I felt like my body was put together. I wanted everybody to show how chiseled I was. My abs were popping out. My shoulder, my back gang was strong. Everybody was like, "Young Rook, man, B Mac is getting it, getting it." I didn't know. I needed to really pace myself. Yeah. By the time I got to eight, I was shot. My lower back. Tighten up on me. It felt like I was pulling a safe. This is like the time that I was in a pizza eating contest and I started gorging on slices. I had six, seven slices and then I realized, oh crap. Yeah. I'm eating it too fast. I'm going to fall apart. I lost because the other guy. I fell apart. So I know exactly what you're going through, Brian. By the time I got to the the 14th rep, I went through the the finish line. It felt like someone shot me in my back. Like you're watching one of those war movies and someone gets shot in the, shot in the back and they just collapse. I fell on my face. So we had that conditioning test. And when I went to Arizona for a year, we had 300, 300 shuttle conditioning test. So you had to run 300 shuttles in one time. What is so a 300 shuttle? Either you can run it in 50s. So if you start on the goal line, you run to the 50, you run back to the goal line, you run to the 50. You do that until you get until 300, 300 yards. yards. Yeah. Or you can run 100. Run from goal line to goal line, 100, and you go back and back, back, up, up, back, up, back, up, back, 300. Mm-hmm. And those are time. 
So my thing is this. For Adrian Peterson to have lost to Drew Brees, you don't usually see quarterbacks running with running backs. Mm-hmm. Running backs are considered a skilled position, so they usually run with the wide receivers. So either they ran something that was extremely long as far as long distance, or they just were having fun and they had certain positional players run with other positional players. Peterson said this is probably the first time he ever lost a conditioning test. And it was to Drew Brees. I would love to hear what that conditioning test was. I, I'd be surprised if it was the same one for a running back as it is for a quarterback for the for the reasons that you talk about. There's no exactly. reason to send a quarterback through a crazy conditioning test like that. So I know. Why would AP even admit this? I don't why, know. Why would he? Why would he put that? Out? He's a free agent I, for crying I, I, out loud. I guess he has no shame. But he never said exactly what the con, what the conditioning test was, though, Dave. So we have to really wait and see if it was some type of sprint, if it was something extremely long distance. You know, and hey, of course, we know Drew Brees is always known to be one of the well-conditioned quarterbacks in the league every year. So I guess it's more so applauding Drew Brees for being in great condition and also questioning how <laughs> how conditioned is AP, right? Yeah. I mean, it, it, that would make me wonder if I was a team like Tampa Bay, who's looking potentially to add another running back to the stable because we've heard about Adrian Peterson linked to Tampa Bay. You hear that and you wonder, oh, I don't I don't know if I want to guarantee this guy a lot of money because if mm-hmm. he comes into my camp and Jameis Winston beats him in a conditioning test, yeah, yeah. I don't know if that's a guy I want running the football 15-plus times again. <laughs> exactly. All right, I don't know if this was as satisfying as returning an interception for a touchdown, but it was it's, definitely it's a right lot of fun, there. and we definitely had a great time. I hope you guys did, too, listening at home. Be sure to subscribe to the Pick 6 Podcast. Follow on Twitter at Pick 6 Pod. Follow on Twitter at BMAC underscore Sports Talk, and you can see Bryant McFadden. On CBS Sports HQ. You can see me on CBS Sports HQ as well. My Twitter is at Dave Richard. We come at you every day with 30 minutes of what's going on in the NFL, along with stuff that you might not know about, and now you do. For producer Eric D. Baradinas and Brian McFadden, I'm Dave Richard. Thanks for coming out.